from the cabin from the cabin in the wonderful state of Washington. I'm Ken Armstrong. This is the Commander's Table, and uh, it's my great pleasure to have a very special guest with us today, Cassandra Fryman, one of the local heroes of the Libertarian Party. And you know, because we say that all politics are local. It's fabulous to have somebody like Cassandra. By the way, I do want to point out, everybody look at the spelling of her name because we've gotten it wrong ourselves, Cassandra Fryman. And uh, Cassandra, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I am the mayor of a small community, uh, Plymouth, Ohio. It's a population of about 1,800. This is my first term. And before that, I've been a member of the Libertarian Party since 2016. That was when I first started to become active was the Johnson Weld campaign. Um, and since then, I've also been on the board for a nonprofit called the Plymouth Improvement Committee. And what we've really been able to do is we've created a lot of community engagement in our small village that really wasn't there before. Um, we have public events. We've funded the pool privately after it closed and gotten it to reopen. We do scholarships um, and different improvement activities in our community. So I stay pretty busy. <laughs> I guess you do. So I, I just want to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, your town, uh, 1800 people. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that's, I, I just, I think that's wonderful. And and I and I don't want to. I'm I'm not blowing sunshine up your skirt here at all. I I think that the most perfect level of government is the smallest level of government. That's where we should have the most power and the most focus. So, what are your biggest challenges being a, a small government like that? The biggest challenges we have right now are probably maintaining our budget. We don't have any industry here, so our tax revenue is very low, um, and just kind of running our day-to-day -day functions with a skeleton budget and just making sure everything works with it. Um, you know, one small hic hiccup can really throw a wrench in the gears with uh, operations and everything. So we have to be creative with how you uh, manage your money, really. I would imagine so. And it's been said of libertarians, and I think uh, somebody was talking about you when they said this, we don't like government very much, but we're pretty good at governing. And uh, uh, it's it's interesting. How do people think of having a libertarian mayor in Plymouth? A lot of people just had questions. They didn't really know what it was. Um, but it's funny because, you know, some people that do work in government here are libertarian. So I'm not even the first libertarian to be um, in the administration here. So some people are familiar with it and others ask questions and are curious. Um, but for the most part, it's been well received. I haven't had too much blowback from that. Well, that's um, pretty... My community is small and rural, um, but it's very much divided between Republicans and Democrats. So they're used to working with people outside their window of perception. So it's been good. That's that's really pretty exciting that uh, you've you've had mm -hmm. uh, libertarian people in in local government there with eighteen hundred mm -hmm. people. How many people are actually uh, in elected office in in government there? How many people are elected? It would be myself and six council members that are elected. Wow! And out of that, you've you've had uh, libertarians before in government, or have they've they been in appointed positions or? I know of at least one that was independent libertarian leaning. Um, they're not in office anymore, but there are people that aren't 
vocal libertarians that are libertarian within my administration and government. So um, they don't really play it up, but I know that they are. <laughs> yeah, we tell people all the time you're libertarian. You just don't know it yet. You know, I, I, I was, you know, I, I think I was about almost 40 years. Well, I was. I was 41 years old when uh, when I realized that I'd always been a libertarian my whole life. That was mm -hmm. 20, 22 years ago. So. Um, yeah, I, that's uh, that's pretty good. I, I think it's fascinating that you you're a libertarian mayor in mm -hmm. a town in a, in a small town where obviously that means people know you. You know, that's a, that's right. another. It's, it's kind of hard, you know, like uh, De Blasio and people like that. They get to hide behind image and gatekeepers and all of that. You don't have an entourage going out protecting you from the public. Everybody knows who you really are. And, and, and that's really a cool thing because um, they know you and they respect you and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and you get to prove your principles. I'm, I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. I hope so anyways. So, um, you know, definitely trial by fire with the, the pandemic we've had going on and everything else. But, you know, we're, we're uh, on a steep learning curve and making it work the best we can. Luckily, I have people with me that are willing to be flexible and learn with me as well. So it's been pretty good most of the time. So I want to learn a little bit. I'm not just, uh, I'm not just throwing softballs here. I really want to learn from you right now. Um, okay. And, and I notice that people are starting to get sort of tired of hearing about the virus and the pandemic, you know, all, all the time. And it's like, you know, can't we talk about something else? But I'm going to bore them for just a minute because I want to know in Plymouth with 1,800 people, how is how is this affecting you at, at the grassroots level where you are? Well, I will say that we learn everything just about as soon as the public does. We really haven't been given any um, plan of action from the government. We learn it as we go. I was one of the first communities to put in place um, basically a, a contingency plan for our offices. Um, so I closed our offices to the public and had my people that can work from home work from home. Um, my police department works on shifts so that they don't interact with each other. That way, if one is contaminated with the virus, we're not going to have everyone else fall as well. Um, but we have had a couple of people go into isolation, not necessarily for the virus, but because like one person had pneumonia. So, you know, we put them on isolation just to keep them safe, too. So it's just a matter of figuring out how to have a continuity, keep going forward and mitigate the risk. Um, so that's something that we've really been focusing on. Um, but I've been very reluctant to put any um, social distancing like laws in effect or have my you know people come down hard on that. Um, I did catch hell because I have food trucks come every other week. And the first time that they came at the end of March after the social distancing stuff was enacted, people were not happy with that. It was perceived as being too socially interactive. So we told them they couldn't come back. And I hated that. But then the food trucks decided that they were going to operate drive through service only and not do the walk-ups. And they asked if they could come back if we allowed that. So I got my council to agree to that. So um, we're just doing, we're trying to be creative with how we're letting businesses continue as normally as possible. Um, but that's definitely like our biggest obstacle is making sure that 
life goes on as normally as possible while being safe. I think that's one of our huge challenges right now. And, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of, uh, even inside the party, there's a lot of disagreement about how seriously we take this thing and what the role of government is. Uh, in my personal opinion, um, the role mm -hmm. of government, especially, you know, I'm looking at the federal level because I'm, I'm running for president, um, but the role of government is more to to provide that conduit of information and to make sure that the goods and services can flow freely to, to the people, not so much mm -hmm. to be putting our boot on the on the neck of the people and telling them how they they need to respond. So it's it's kind of cool to see that you worked out a, a, a compromise with the, the food truck people. And, and I think, you know, that's we need to the the, the nap is a real thing. Uh, you mm -hmm. as the mayor, uh, you know, you're sworn to an oath to protect the people that you serve. Uh, I believe you serve them, not the other way around. And, and so uh, your job uh, as as a human being, as a libertarian and, and as mayor is to not knowingly allow them to be harmed. And, and so that's a do you, do you think that's a, a, a tricky balance for you as, as a mayor right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Um you know, I don't know where I fall on the spectrum with my level of concern. I think it changes every day. Um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, our overreach has been beyond anything it should have been. And then other days I think, you know, this isn't being taken seriously enough. I think it should have been handled sooner, but I also think it should have been handled more realistically. I would really like a case study on South Korea and Singapore and what their numbers come out to. And I'm very curious about how Sweden's numbers end up coming out as well, because I think this could have been done a lot differently with personal responsibility. Um, I think that would have been key to mitigating the risk. And I think our numbers would not have been much different than they are now. If people would have just been proactively wearing masks and just using common sense with how, what they were doing and when, you know, I just, I don't think the entire shutdown was necessary. You, you know, we're seeing kind of three categories uh, of states right now in the United States. We're seeing the ones who were early lockdown, late lockdown, and there are some that don't have a statewide lockdown at all. And, mm -hmm. and what we're seeing is that there's not a lot of difference. If you take out the, the outliers, New York City, San Francisco, you know, like that, if you take out those, those outliers and you just look at at the, the average numbers, there's not a lot of difference between early lockdown, late lockdown, and no lockdown at all, which, which leads you to believe that maybe lockdown isn't the thing that's successful in flattening the curve. Now, I, frankly, I don't want to say, okay, so everybody go out and, and, and start bumping elbows again and all that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to do that, but I'm saying the government owes us a lot more information. We ought to be testing people so that we know what really is working because exactly. I, have, I have a suspicion that five years from now, we're going to look back on this day that we destroyed the economy and we're going to say, and the sad thing was, it wasn't even necessary because locking down didn't make the difference. Washing our hands, wearing masks, so we're not spitting on yeah. each other. Folks, those masks are not to protect you wearing the mask. They're, they're to protect the people that, you know, I, I'm one of those. I'm, I, I'm sorry, folks, it's true. When I say it, I spray it. So, you know, it's just as well that I wear a mask. And 
Mm-hmm. And 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 protect the people around me. And if I happen to sneeze or whatever, that that helps. So doing those things, using the hand sanitizer, we've got it around the house now, and we we use it regularly. Uh, you know, those are smart things, and I think they're flattening the curve a whole lot more than this thing mm-hmm. that's destroying small business. It, what what kind? What's your core small business in in Plymouth? What's my what? I'm sorry, I couldn't your, hear you. Your small business. Are you mostly a, like a bedroom community or are you, uh, do you have small business there? What's, uh, what's your core there? We're low to moderate income. Most people that live here work in factories. Um, we also have some medical staff. We have a couple of big hospitals in the area. Um, we've only had one confirmed case in our community. So we're very fortunate in regards to that. Um, but we do have some people that work at the different prisons in the area. And I know one of them has made at least statewide news, Mary in Ohio. That's only about 45 minutes away from us. Um, so we do have some employees there. So we have some risk. But I mean, I think we've done very well considering what we're exposed to regularly. So let's shift gears here a little bit, because I know people really, okay. you know, it's it's like, okay, you know, shove an ice pick in my ear, I'll listen to more about the virus. But um, let's let's talk about some other, I really want to know about um, the, the party at the county level there where you are and, and what you've been okay. doing with the party. How, how what's, what's happening with the Libertarian Party there? Plymouth is split into two counties. We're in Richland and Huron County. And I'm the chair, the development coordinator for Huron County. And I have been since 2016. Um, We have people that are Republicans that lean libertarian that come to some of our meetings sometimes. Um, But they're not committed. They don't want to pull the trigger. Um, But I think the biggest tipping ice, the tipping point was um, the gun regulations that Trump's administration has even pushed through, where they realized, hey, maybe the Republicans and the Democrats are more similar than we thought. So I think that light bulb is going off in a lot of heads around here. Um, we have some, you know, bicurious people that come to our meetings and kind of see what we're about, what's going on. We hand literature out. Um, during the Johnson Weld campaign, there was a surge of interest in our party. I remember handing out dozens of signs. People were putting them in their yards. I mean, there's potential here. I will say that. So, you know, it sounds like a a whole lot of, uh, your, your interested people are coming from the right, particularly if if Johnson Weld was, was attracting them, um, have, have you been reaching out to the, to the, to the dark side, to the blue side lately? (laughs) Um, I'm always open to talking to someone. If they ask a question, I'm always happy to answer it or have a conversation about it. Um, It usually goes to the Second Amendment. That's where we keep going back. Um, But I think there's a lot of people interested in criminal justice reform as well, especially um, legalizing marijuana is one that I've talked to a lot of people about. Um, I know the Johnson campaign made a big impact with that. And, you know, we don't have any CDC stores in this area. Um, Both counties are not um, allowing that business in here. So something that I would love to see pushed is I'd love for Plymouth to have a medicinal marijuana shop or even a really big dream would be to have like an organic marijuana plant, you know, processing or something, you know, I'm all about bringing some kind of business here. And I would love to see us have a a facility that's open to that kind of thing. I think it would really paint Plymouth as a progressive community that's open and welcoming to people who have, you know, alternative beliefs or 
you know, just kind of an open mind. And I think that potential is here for sure. Yeah, I noticed that, you know, you mentioned the Second Amendment, and, and that does tend to be probably our number one sticking point with mm-hmm. uh, with committed progressives or, or, or you know, uh, Democrat-leaning people, is that they're not comfortable with our stand on the Second Amendment. And, and quite honestly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to talk about ways that we can keep the public safe. Um, mm-hmm. building safer firearms and, and, uh, you know, education programs and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely averse to, to making sure that the people who, uh, who buy weapons are not, uh, listed as, you know, in, in mental health, uh, uh, uh categories and stuff like that. Uh, sure. So, you know, I think that there's room for us to have discussion with people. Uh, you know, I, one of the things I do when I'm talking with people who really feel like the problem is handguns, I mean, you know, we can joke about gun violence. I tell people, well, you know, I put my Glock on the table and I watched it for two hours and it didn't do a thing, you know, uh, you right. know, I've never, I've never seen a violent gun. And, and, but you know, that's a little glib. We're kind of making fun of people when we say that. But here's the mm-hmm. truth, and, and I bring this up a lot. So there's three stories. Story number one, the worst case of a school massacre in the history of the United States. Mm-hmm. Bath, Michigan, 1927, and and the weapon was dynamite. Uh, then, then the worst mass killing in the United States history was uh, the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, 1995, and the weapon mm-hmm. was a weaponized truckload of fertilizer and diesel fuel. And the yep. worst, the worst foreign terrorism in the United States, 2001 World Trade Center, the weapon was airplanes full of fuel. So in, in other words, evil people will do evil things. And, and we as a population, the, the non-aggression principle actually forbids us from pretending that the problem is something other than what it is because we won't be protecting our population so even if we're not the most popular kids on the block if we lie to people and say guns are the problem and we know that we're lying we're we're violating the non-aggression principle and 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 we need to in in a compassionate articulate way recognizing the, the pain that people are feeling. I have uh, a lot of Canadian friends and, and a number of them feel very strongly that the United States has just become a horribly gun violent state uh, country. They won't even drive through Oregon. They go around Oregon because you can open carry in that state. Um, and, and what we need to do is we need to, to talk a little sense, talk a little logic, and help them see that we really are trying to solve the same problem mm-hmm. they're trying to solve. We're just trying to be honest about it. Absolutely. And those are good points. And I think when you present them that way, I think it really you know, paints a picture. If someone wants to hurt people, they're going to find a way to do it with or without access to guns. And and that's exactly the bottom line. I mean, we're seeing in mm-hmm. England now and in other places, uh, yep. you know, the, the violent crime yep. statistics are going up. It's not gun violence that's going up, but the violent crime statistics are going up because people are finding other weapons when guns aren't available to them. So 
what we need to do in our culture is we, we need to deal with violence and we need to do it by not taking away people's rights. The, the, the Patriot mm -hmm. Act and, and red flag laws are not the solution to violence in our culture. We need to be addressing the, the, the grassroots level. And that's why I'm very interested in Plymouth and in just uh, small town life in general, because that's where we're going to have mm -hmm. to address this stuff is where people really live, not, not in Washington. Right. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about, uh, about the, the state party. Tell me about, uh, you know, I, I, I know you've, uh, you've helped to grow the libertarian party. You're being kind of modest right now. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to draw you out here and, and let you have a little bit of, a little bit of limelight. <laughs> I think the Ohio libertarian party is, um, the best state party. And I say that because over the past few years, just getting to know people and going to maybe one or two events a year, but these people are family. I mean, I've never met people who go so far out of their way to make you feel wanted and welcomed. And um, we don't always agree. Certainly there's infighting because like any family, you're going to have fighting. Um, but everyone that I've met has been so over the top, nice, kind hearted and passionate about what they do here. I mean, we do amazing things with very little resource because the ballot access laws are a huge wall for us. And we constantly worry about that 3%. We constantly worry about, are we going to lose our access? And I've gone through one ballot access drive where we had to get, you know, hundreds of thousands of signatures and, you know, you really, you really, uh, make some camaraderie going through that with just a handful of people trying to make that happen. But when you see it all come together and you know, it's worth it. Um, you just, you become a very close front, a very united front. Um, we help each other with our campaigns where we can. Um, and it's, it's amazing. I can't say enough good things about the LPO. I think everybody on it adds value and I just love it. I, it's the best thing that I've probably ever done. Like it just makes me so happy even thinking about it. <laughs> You know, and I, I have to agree with you. A little plug here. Uh, LPO really helped to launch my campaign. I was, uh, mm -hmm. I, I came up out of uh, Mexico a little over a year ago and, and started my campaign yep. completely unknown in the Libertarian Party and uh, was traveling all over the country for, I, I was yep. on the road for almost two months before I hit Ohio. And all of a sudden, I, I ran into Homer Taft and Helen Gilson and uh, and just a bunch yep. of wonderful people who uh, really helped me to to get some traction. And and you know what? It's mm -hmm. it's very it's very person to person in Ohio. It's very uh, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of very personal contact, uh, a lot of respect for individuals. But you know, mm -hmm. like Helen Gilson, one of my favorite people in the state of Ohio. Uh, She's you awesome. Know, she is awesome and you can't tell that woman no it did no is not a word that that she did you know she's tone deaf to it or something you know she just uh, she will keep on plugging and i have to mm -hmm. say by the way and you probably don't know this uh my my dad and and uh, both of his parents were born in cincinnati so okay. um I, i'm uh, i'm one step away from being Ohio myself. And I, every time I go back to the state, uh, you know, my dad <laughs> was counts. actually raised in Oxford and, and, uh, and on a farm there before it was a college town. And, and, and mm -hmm. I, 
you know, I really just get wonderful feelings about Ohio, and I love the approach to, to the party there. The, the, the thing I noticed, we went to an XCOM, uh, my, my road manager, Earl, and I, first thing we did was went to an, uh, an XCOM, and it was, there were a lot of people who didn't agree with each other at that meeting. And unlike so many libertarian experiences I've had, there was no circular firing squad. They weren't taking shots at each other. They were working together. They were laughing. There was a whole lot of collegiality. And when they disagreed, they felt comfortable with disagreeing without feeling like they had to, you know, back somebody into a corner or something. So really, really, um, yeah, I can't say enough good about... uh, Ohio and the way the Libertarian Party is working. There are a lot of great examples for people around the country. And what you're doing there, you know, you, you took the reins there and, and uh, at the county level and, and made sure that things didn't fall apart. I understand that, uh, that you know, people tell me you're, you're quite responsible for making sure that things didn't kind of dissolve there. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's. We're very spirited here in Ohio. I will definitely say that. Um, but again, you know, like Homer and everyone up in the Lorraine area. Well, the first time I met you was in Elyria when you came to the park. And I had never heard of you before that, but I'd wanted to hear what you said. And, you know, that was when I was impressed with you. I was like, well, Ken stands out to me as the clear, you know, edge that we that we have among any of the other um, people seeking the nomination. And, you know, I think it said a lot about how willing you were to engage at a local level because you were doing all those events, you know, and I've seen you support Oscar Herrera's campaign. Um, you know, I'm just Oscar, genuinely yeah. very impressed with how you've run a presidential campaign because I think you're trying your best to reach the real people. You know, you're trying to talk to everyone and it stands out compared to what other people are doing or what I've seen before. Well, thank you. I, you know, I think the thing that that works against me is also the thing that works for me, and that is my lack of name recognition. I've been forced to get out there and meet people, uh, mm-hmm. not just libertarians. I mean, uh, you know, I've stood in shopping malls and restaurants and all kinds of places just meeting people and, and finding out what's really going on. But, uh, sure. yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's been the, the very personal level of the campaign that's touched me the most and i've gone from no name recognition at all to uh, you know i'm i'm listed in the top tier of candidates uh, we're yeah. we're seeing you know uh, we're we've gotten new people coming into the campaign now uh, new new people uh, uh you know i've been on the road for a year and now we've got other people coming in and and filing their campaigns who knows what it's going to be right. but, but one thing that i do know is that we all make the libertarian party better by mm-hmm. by doing what we're doing by speaking you know i've got a lot of 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 the dozen or so candidates for president that i know half of them are really good friends of mine and, and i count them as really good people and you might actually be surprised which ones i would put on that list because they don't look like me or sound like me you know they're they're very different no but you know I've met some of them myself and, you know, I may not agree with them or I may not, you know, they may not be my first, second, third or fifth pick for president, but damn it. I still like them. They're very likable people. They all have good hearts. They all want what's best for the country in their own way. And 
anyone who got the nomination out of the list, I would not lose sleep at night voting for over the other two options. You know, the third party candidate by far, just from a moral standpoint, to me, exceeds any expectation for what I would have for the other two parties. I mean, it's it's a no brainer. Just a, a little personal opinion and plug here. Um, you know, I, we always this time of year in, 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 the, in the election season, we always mm-hmm. start chasing a shiny object. It, it happens every dog on time that we start yep. chasing a, a shiny object. And it, it doesn't work well for us because what we're afraid to do is we're afraid to take people who are really grounded in what our principles are, experienced, able to talk to the public, mm-hmm. and and turn them into a known entity. We, you know, we can use our resources to create name recognition, but we can't right. turn somebody with name recognition into a into a real libertarian. We can't we can't True. force them to to represent our principles. So I'm 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 always concerned that this this time in the election cycle, when we start getting nervous and we start looking for the shiny object, we start looking for mm. somebody to come in on a white horse and rescue us and and you know, oh next time we'll stick to our principles. This time we just need to get uh, the the ballot access. You know, I this is this is what we all fight for. This is why I've traveled 51,000 miles in the last year, uh, hadn't slept in my own bed for 11 months. This is why you do all of the hard work that you do and 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 put yourself, you know, you you put yourself in a very vil- visible, very vulnerable position where mm-hmm. it's it's easy to criticize you. Uh, it, I, you know, I, I have a funny feeling you're not getting rich as the mayor of Plymouth. So, uh, uh, no. <laughs> you know, it's 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 probably not the fat paycheck that was your incentive to do this. So, you know, I, I think that we need to honor the people who mm-hmm. are putting in the hard work and, and really grounded in what we're about. And whether you're talking about a presidential campaign or a mayor of a small town in America or whatever it is, we need to really get behind the principles of the party and, and stick Absolutely. with that. We can, we can make that famous in America. You know, we can do that. We can create our own banner carriers. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's what's next in your plans? Are you going to run for president in four years? Oh, no. <laughs> um, really? I like to work behind the scenes more than I think I like being in the front. Um, I don't know. I feel like I do more work. I get more done when my face isn't on it. Um, I guess I don't really know. This is only my fourth month into it. So it's hard to say, um, you know, a lot can happen in four years. Um, I definitely want the experience. I want to learn from this. I've already learned so much already. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting to walk into a national pandemic three months into my term. So it's been a very steep learning curve. Um, but this has been something that's been very rewarding. I'm learning how to navigate very strong beliefs, very, um, what do I want to say? Very strong opinions that don't always align with each other. Um, and sometimes it's like herding cats. But I think everybody that I work with has their heart in the right place and wants what's best for our community. And when you look at it that way, at the end of the day, you have more in common than you realize. 
Um, so I've learned how to be an effective communicator and how to explain my point of view a little better than I think I had previously done. So if I take nothing else from this, it will be that I've learned basically how to be a leader. Like I really just threw myself into it. This is the first position that I've had like this. So I guess that's what I'll take from it and no promises for anything in the near future. <laughs> I just need to survive this first four years before I do anything else. Well, you know, what's really a rude question. I know I, my, my mother would smack me upside the head, but how old are you? But what? How, how old are you? 33. 33. Okay. So mm -hmm. you're almost old. You could run for president next time, by the way, just <laughs> popping that out there. But um, so at 33, um, you know, for the rest of your life, it's going to be true that you did this thing and not just that you were mayor of Plymouth, but you were the mayor of Plymouth when we went through this, this thing that, that all of us went through together. And I loved what you said, because <clears throat> you're the mayor of all the people. You're not just the mayor of the libertarians and you're not just trying right. to force libertarian on the people, you know, you, you are working with everybody and, mm -hmm. and, and there's never been a time in my lifetime. And that's a little bit longer than your lifetime that we've been so much in something together. And, yeah. and I think that's an opportunity for us to shine. I think it's a, Clearly, uh, if you look at how the governors are handling it, it doesn't matter whether they're red or blue. They're, they're, they're doing a pretty bad job right now. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. Well, so tell us, give, give us your rundown on uh, what's, what's going on aside from, from COVID. Um, what are the big issues in the country right now? If you're if you're talking to the president of the United States, and who knows, stranger things have happened. I am living in a log cabin right now, so you know you never know. <clears throat> uh, if you're talking to the president of the United States, what do you want to talk to him about? Well, I mean, unfortunately, the the COVID nineteen virus has really consumed every aspect of our lives. I mean, from the economy to um jobs, our fiscal responsibilities. I mean, everything has been really thrown out of whack right now. Um, I would really focus on, you know, making sure people have job security. That would be something that would be very important. I know that's on a lot of people's minds right now, especially people who have been on unemployment for over four weeks that still haven't gotten an unemployment check. Um, and then I just the waste in our government spending is obscene. And if anyone hasn't noticed that, even with the relief bills, the $2 trillion that were pumped into the economy and how little of it actually went to the people who needed it. Um, those are things that I would definitely focus on because we still need to talk about the government waste. We still need to talk about the corporate welfare. We still need to talk about the entitlements that these companies are getting and the people who need stuff are just still left empty handed and it's unbelievable and nobody should be tolerating it. If you want to be mad about anything in this administration or the two party system, it should be the waste and the spending and, you know, how little they think of the people who need them. You know, I've been uh, the last three years, in fact, the last 11 years, I've been talking about exactly that, about the huge mm -hmm. waste of, of what the government's spending right now. Uh, we're now uh, 
I don't even know because it's changing by the day. Uh, but we're somewhere around twenty-seven trillion dollars in in debt right now, um, and and we'll probably pass thirty trillion before we come out of this tunnel we're in, and and that's a huge argument for why we should have been more careful with our economics back when when things were going a lot better because you have to be ready for the disasters and we weren't we've yeah, been spending yeah. money like drunken sailors running the 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 debt through the roof thinking that tomorrow's going to be better than today and now we're not really economically ready to handle the disaster we find ourselves in so i i'm i'm with you we need to we need to get serious about being the adults in the room, making sometimes tough decisions, recognizing right. that there's nothing in the Constitution that says the government needs to alleviate all pain and, and make everybody happy. That's, that's not the role of government. Um, you know, so we need to be letting the people pursue their own happiness and getting out of their way. You know, that's that's right. our, our main job. <clears throat> So uh, somebody somebody uh, says, uh, Cassandra, surprise! You get to be uh, president for a day, um, and we want you to take care of the, uh, the the military crises overseas. What uh, what's what's Cassandra's take on what we're doing overseas? <laughs> Oh, I would be going through there and slashing like crazy. Um, basically, I would be doing as much as I could to rein that budget in. And I mean, it, it's probably easier to talk about than to do. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, we need to take a look at what we're spending where and why. And if we don't even cut the spending, but we just divert it to a better use, I think I could live with that even. If we diverted it to infrastructure, if we diverted it to healthcare even like if you want to go crazy and say something like that but you know it's just we really need to take a look at what our priorities are and where our spending is and i think i think that's what i would do is just definitely at least mitigate as much of it away from the military budget as possible on day one that's a really good point you know i was uh, talking to uh some other people a couple of weeks ago about mm -hmm. uh the way that we would need to withdraw from some of our military engagement overseas. And I specifically brought up the, uh, the U S base on the Island of Okinawa in Japan. And okay. if we just simply shut that base down and left, we would basically destroy the economy of the, the entire Island of Okinawa because um, those people who aren't directly working for the base are, you know, second or third circle that everyone's life is affected by that base. So simply just pulling out and closing it down, really, that'd be a violation of now. We'd, we'd really be hurting people. So what we right. need to do, in my opinion, is negotiate with the government of Japan and say, you know, we don't need a military presence on Okinawa anymore. But sure. what we can do is we can use sort of a sort of a Peace Corps sort of model. We can replace this base with an international free trade zone, a cultural exchange zone, where American entrepreneurs and Japanese entrepreneurs come together and build a whatever you want to envision it, a resort community, uh, uh, an entertainment community, uh, the, the Las Vegas of the Pacific, 
whatever you, you know, <laughs> however you want to look at it, but to uh, to create something in that place so that we're not just creating a vacuum and running away. Right. We, you know, we've we've caused uh, there's a lot of places of some of the NATO bases in Europe, Aviano and Ramstein and places like that, <clears throat> where if we just pull out, close up and go home we really damage a population of people and we've created that situation. So I think so many of the things that we need to do, we, we need to have sort of a systems approach and, you know, we need to make sure that we're not just yanking the rug out from under people and causing them harm. So I really love, uh, you know, what you said, it's, it's more complex than just, going in so many people think oh if i was president i'd solve all the world's problems i'd send all the food to the starving people and and uh, and, yeah. and 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 end all the wars uh, i wish it was that easy but mm-hmm. i think we do need to give a voice back to the people i think sure. that that we need to stop having an imperial president who thinks he's king of the world uh, and i'm not just pointing my finger at the incumbent right now i think that Right. Most of the recent people in the Oval Office have acted like they think they're king. Um, we need to know that the person in the Oval Office works for the people. What do we got here? How do we get the country back to being fiscally conservative, socially laissez-faire, and supportive to the states instead of impeding them? That's a that's a really good question. I've got some thoughts. What What are your thoughts before I jump in and steal it? How do we get back to that? that libertarian culture i think by the best thing to do is by leading by example um something that i've tried to live by is by letting the private fact the private sector solve solutions that the government is used to taking care of um and the example that i go to again and again is our pool closed um because our village didn't have the money to fund it so my nonprofit raises the money pays the salary of the lifeguard, the managers and everything. And the village basically just pumps the water in to keep it running. So we kind of have a working relationship with that. And it's been very successful. And the key to that success was just letting people know this is what's going on. Like we don't have the money for this. It's not a priority. If you want to keep it open, you're going to have to do that yourself. And people rose to the occasion and time and time again, in our little community, I see people do that for all kinds of different things. Um, and it's just on a local scale. It's not a national scale by any means, but that's what we have to work with. Um, but we do make it work. And you can look at examples on GoFundMe and Kickstarter for different ways that people, if they care about something, they will make it happen. They will make it work. And I guess that's just my libertarian faith in humanity. But I'm a believer because I, I see it in action. Um, But I think the key to that is starting local and seeing that privatizing different things works, um, you know, and just just leading the charge on that, just being the change that you want to see, because I've seen it work, you know, time and time again, we just do. And if we grow up and and out instead of starting at the top, maybe maybe it's more successful that way. I don't know. Um, But that's just my way of handling it. You know, I was uh, I was the CEO of Habitat for Humanity in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and uh, I I love the model of Habitat for Humanity. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, of course we know generally speaking that they build homes for families in need, but the model is 
that those families have to first put in 500 hours of sweat equity in somebody else's home before they can go on the list to have a home built for them. And then they don't just get a house given to them. They pay for it. They just don't pay any interest. It's the actual cost amortized generally over 20 years. So they're actually paying for that thing. And the money that they put in goes back in to build other people's homes. And, 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 you know, that's community activism at its very best. It's you, you, you are, you're getting an advantage. Yes. From the help that you give to other people, there's nothing wrong with helping other people because somebody will eventually help you. There's, there's, you know, right. we, we don't have to second guess people's motives on that. The fact is that it works. It's a synergistic, local, grassroots level program. Habitat is managed at the local level, not at the, you know, at the national mm-hmm. level, so that each community can decide what works there. It's, uh, you know, it, Habitat was established as a Christian outreach in the 1960s. And I can't think of a better example of libertarian volunteerism than a a program like that. Yep. So, yeah. So I, I'm totally with you. So uh, uh, what else would you do? You're, you're president for a day. Uh, You've now you've uh, got a a program in place to end uh, and uh, our imperialism overseas. Um, what, oh, what else? I would probably do? dissolve ICE day one. They need to go. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I would probably dissolve the DEA. I would, you know, the typical libertarian wish list. Um, get rid of as many alphabet boys as possible. Um, I would. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? exonerate Snowden. Um, that's not the word that I'm looking for, but I, you know, where you let him come back without charges. Pardon him. Yeah. Um, I would definitely dissolve the NSA. I would repeal a lot of the Patriot Act as much as I could scrape away as possible. Um, those are the things that I would really zero in on is restoring our rights to privacy and rights to communication and freedom of movement. Um, I would probably get rid of as much of the um, interstate regulations as possible. Um, having the federal ID requirement, I would work to repeal that. I don't think you need that to travel state to state. Um, those are things that I would really want to zero in on. You know, your list and my list look an awful lot alike. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I respect that. Criminal justice reform is very high on my list. And I was, yes. I was kind of hoping that would come up because that's a thing that is critical from the federal level right down to the mayor of Plymouth. We all need yep. to get on the same page about criminal justice reform. I, I was up until four o'clock this morning working on our position paper on on uh, mm-hmm. a, a program idea that we have for criminal justice reform. Um, but, you know, the government, first of all, the federal government doesn't even have constitutional authority to be in the prohibition business. We, we need to get out of the prohibition business, leave that to, to the states. And, and even right. in the case of the states, we need to make sure that they don't violate the constitutional rights of the citizens. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one, one role of the federal government is to make sure that the citizens' rights aren't being trampled. Um, but uh, uh, we need to there's three parts of criminal justice reform, reform, input, throughput, and output. We need to reduce the input 
by decriminalizing a whole lot of things that don't harm anybody. But, the you know, if I eat a hamburger and you tell me that's bad for me, that doesn't mean you get to make it against the law. It means I ought to be more careful for myself, but it's still my choice. And mm-hmm. for us to outlaw things that we say are bad for people, that's not the, the business or the role of government. So decriminalizing things that don't have uh, a victimhood, uh, we right. reduce the input of people into the system. Then we ask the question, do people really need to be incarcerated? Is that is that doing the public any good to incarcerate? We've got all kinds of technologies now for monitoring people outside of prison. And, you know, when they're in prison, they can't be working to make their victims whole. So if they're not a danger to society, and very few of them really are, if they're not a danger to society, we want them working productively rather than sucking resources off of the public. Um, mm-hmm. We're spending we're spending forty five billion dollars a year just on the people who are uh, who have been in the system multiple times. For sixty percent of people who commit crimes are in the system more than once, and so forty five billion a year we spend as a country on those people who've been in multiple times. We need to be getting a handle on that, and and we're thinking about the the children in those families, thinking about the damage that it does to the community, the cost to the public. There's so many layers of why being the most incarcerated nation on the planet is really destroying us from the inside out. It's the cancer that's killing us. Absolutely. So what do you, do you have any law enforcement agencies in, in Plymouth? Do you have, uh, or do you go? We do have a full-time police department. Um, we do? have four full-time police officers and we have about eight to 10 part-time. And then we have some auxiliary that volunteer as well. Um, so actually half of our general fund is spent on our police department. <laughs> and what's the main focus of law enforcement in Plymouth? Um, I mean, I think they do an excellent job. They do protect and serve. They also, we do have a lot of calls for the size of our community, um, but they also help sometimes with emergency runs. Our our volunteer fire department sometimes needs assistance. Um, so they do help with that. And since we're dual county, um, they do have their hands full with trying to juggle the different agencies that come into play with that. Um, but I, I think they do a really good job overall. I really can't complain about them. We're lucky that we have a full-time police office for the size of our community. Um, and when I came in, I thought, man, I'm going to come in here and slash this budget, budget. But really, when you start looking at the lines, that's not easy to do because so much of it is, you know, expenses that you don't realize are there until you start looking at the line item costs. So it's been a very eye-opening experience. I'm, I'm not an enemy of police myself. Uh, I've, sometimes within the party, I've been criticized for being friendly to law enforcement, and I'm just very open that that I that I don't hate the police. I sometimes I hate the leadership. Sometimes sure. I sometimes I hate the laws that they're directed to enforce. But I don't think police are always the bad guys. Uh, we've we've got oh, some no. serious we've got some serious problems we need to deal with in our country. Don't don't get me wrong. But, um, but, you know, in a, in a community like yours, and I don't, I don't know Plymouth, but I would say 
that uh, domestic violence and things like that tend to be uh, issues that the police have to have a lot of specialized training in. That takes takes mm-hmm. money to know what the current the current laws are, what the current procedures are, and all of those sorts of things. And we do, you know, frankly, because I've seen in my lifetime, I've seen some pretty serious domestic violence situations. As a child, I was a, a victim of domestic violence myself. Um, and and I, I, I like to know that there's somebody there to protect people who, who can't protect themselves. So, um, you know, again, non-aggression principle, the role of government, you know, we, we do help to protect those who aren't able to protect themselves. We just don't right. want to pass so many laws that we're imposing our our view on society. You catch what I mean by that? Well, I agree. It's it's just a matter of, you know, they are needed. They have a purpose. They do their job. Um, and I love knowing that, you know, there's a cop across the street from me if something should happen and we need it. It's nice to know that if someone's breaking into my garage, the chances that they're going to get caught are pretty high because I know that there's a patrol officer regularly going past my house. Um, you know, studies show that having an active police department does deter crime. Um, some of the communities around us have gotten rid of their police departments over the last few years because of budget constraints and they rely on county sheriff departments. And I got to tell you, I don't want to wait 20 minutes for my call to get answered. Um, but that's the reality of it for them. And if we can, you know, enjoy our luxury of having a police department as long as possible, I definitely want to make sure that we do that. You know, I'm, I'm actually much more comfortable with police at the local community level than I am with, you mentioned several of the federal agencies, which yes. tend to be, you know, the federal agencies tend to be much more anonymous in the way that they act. The people that they're interacting with probably never met them before and probably will never meet them again. Where in your community, I'm, I'm pretty willing to bet that everyone knows who the cops are in Plymouth. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, where, where they live and who their kids are and, and all of that kind of stuff. And and keeping it at the local community level like that, I think, keeps the public a lot safer. Oh, sure. 100% agree with that. Cool. Very cool. Well, Cassandra, so tell us uh, just real quickly uh, uh, so that people know uh, what's coming up next for you, how people can get in touch with you if they want. Uh, uh, we got about uh, five minutes to go here, and I, I want this to kind of be your opportunity to let the world get in touch with you. Sure. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'm pretty accessible. Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, I pretty much accept any friend request. Um, you know, if they if they tell me, hey, I'm a libertarian, you know, add me or whatever. I'm like, all right. But um, you know, I'm accessible. I'm very active in the community. Um, I'm always accessible at the mayor's office. You can always, you know, call me there if you have a question about something. Um, but that's about it. I mean, if they want to find me, I'm very easy to find. And what's next for me? Um, I'm working on making our council meetings more transparent. Um, this pandemic has required us to be creative with how we have council meetings. So I've been working on Zoom a lot lately. And right now we're working on getting an archive system in place so that we can live stream all of our council meetings going forward. 
Um, we found that, you know, maybe five, six people come to a council meeting typically. And when we live stream them, we have over 50 people watching now. And so I think if we can maintain that live streaming going forward, we would have a lot more interaction with the community and people would know more about what's going on. Um, I had some people reach out to me to say, you know, we love that you're live streaming the meetings now. And, you know, if you could keep doing that, that would be great because they work during our council meetings. And I agree. I think that would be great for transparency and accessibility. And so that's a big goal of mine right now. So if one good thing has come out of the pandemic, it is that we are making our village more transparent. Um, so I will take that victory and go with it. So that's the next big thing that we're working on. I love that. I think that should be the goal at every level of government now is to to get the people involved, shine a bright light on what we're doing. I love that that matters to you. Yep. So tell me, you have a, a, a diner in, in Plymouth where uh, when, when we get out of this dark tunnel, we can have a have a piece of pie together and, uh, and talk about <laughs> we things. have a very beautiful park that has um little grills that you can go down and you know enjoy a day there um we really don't have a restaurant right now which is why i'm so passionate about bringing food trucks to our community because um they're really the only restaurants that we have right now we have a coffee truck that parks every day here and that is the only thing we have um for about you know a five mile radius so you know, the Chick-fil-A truck comes every two weeks. So that's a big deal. And, you know, we're just trying to bring different things like that into our community to create excitement and engagement. You know, it's a pretty big deal for us. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, we have to make regular trips back to Richmond, Indiana, because that's uh, Earl Shank's home. And, and uh, we, we kind of, that's one of our our hubs. So next time we're back in Richmond, Indiana, when the world has gone somewhat sane again, uh, we'll call all the food trucks and have them meet us at the park, and we'll we'll get together and uh, and 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 just kind of have a blowout together. How's that? <laughs> Sounds good. So Cassandra Fryman, uh, mayor of Plymouth, Ohio, and uh, libertarian extraordinaire, uh, local <laughs> government uh, uh, aficionado. It is just an in, indeed a, a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing an hour with us today. It just it, it means so much to me that that really honestly, I think you're the top of the food chain and president is the bottom of the food chain. I tell people <laughs> I don't like saying down ballot about local government because local government is who I work for. Uh, so. Uh, um, just really thrilling to have you here and thank you so much for everything you do for standing in the gap Thanks, for the Ken. Libertarian Party and for the people of Plymouth. Uh, just bless you. Thank you so much. Folks, I'm Ken Armstrong, armstrong2020.com. This has been the Commander's Table. We thank you for visiting us.